Welcome to Alive and Kicking, the 90s football podcast, the podcast that's more 90s than boom, 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 let me hear you say away, oh. I say a boom, 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 let me hear you say away, oh. My name's Ash Rose, your host and your guide on this, the original 1990s football podcast, ready to discuss that decade that changed football once again. And we discuss it in full 90 goodness today. It's a cracker of a show. I feel, I feel like it's more knee deep in 90s nonsense than it's ever been before which is never never a problem um really looking forward to you listening uh to today's show which i will get to in just a second um just a couple of little plugs uh, at the top of the intro here that i want to give um you may see me put this on twitter a couple of weeks ago um there's a new book coming out from the guys at publishing um that i got sent um between in between now and the last show that we did um by author called tom whitworth and it's called when the seagulls follow the trawler football in the 90s uh i haven't managed to get quite stuck into it yet because as you uh, as everyone else has surely been in the same boat between my day job homeschooling and trying to sleep in somewhere in between <laughs> getting time to read a good book is uh, is at a premium at the moment but hopefully with the uh, new restrictions slowly coming down as we announced this past week uh, i'll have time but because I'm, I'm really really looking Looking forward to getting into another 90s book. Um, it looks fantastic. It's got some um, great pictures on the cover and from the content and stuff. Everything I've, lo- I've seen of it so far, I'm really looking forward to, to digging in. And, and it's even used a certain alive and kicking book and it's free at the end as well. So thank you very much. I've, I'm glad that, we've, that my book's become a research tool uh, for other people in 2021. That's, uh, that's kind of, I kind of like that, kind of proud of that fact. Saying that, though, there may be another Alive and Kicking books in the works. Slightly different to the original book, but negotiations are at a stage, serious stage, over a new book. That's all I'll say at this. Uh, as soon as I've got more information, you guys will be the first to know. But yeah, there's, um, there's some good concepts being thrown around at the moment that uh, are almost there. Contracts are being drawn up and things like that. I won't say any more. I won't reveal anything. I'm not allowed to yet. But yeah, there could be something there. Also wanted to thank the guys at Art of Football, who we recently did a competition with on our Twitter feed, at AK90s. Check out their stuff all the time. They We did a competition with their excellent new range of shirts that are all based on like beer mats and have uh, players of... So I think each, t- each, each shirt is uh, branded with a different team. Um, but I think there's like an Arsenal one, a Leeds one, and they all, they've got names within the beer logo. It's very clever, as, as if all the things on our football. So it was good to hook up with those guys. I'm sure we'll do more of them in due course. Um, so thank you very much, and well done to... I think it was Connor Harris, I want to say, who won that competition. So well done, lad. Um, I think a T-shirt should be on the way to you as we speak. Um, on today's show then, oh, it's fun. We're doing an 11, which I know you guys are always fans of um, when we pick an 11. We've done some cracking 11s in the past. And just when you think we've kind of reached every nook and cranny there is to do, to try and find some 11 cobbled together with a 90s theme, we go and pull another one out the bag. So what is today's, Ash? What, what 11 have we produced? Well, today's, and to be honest, the theme confused both our guests at first and uh, we find our way in the end. But that's just, uh, it's all a bit fun in the ride of the show. This is the quintessential 1990s 11. Now, this isn't the best 11. I think we did that way back in the archive, like episode possibly 10, 11, somewhere around that time. So, you know, 
that team included people like your Ronaldo's, your, not your Paul Gascoigne's. I'm still mad at you, Joel. But, you know, your Ronaldo's, your Alan Shearer's, your Tony Adams, your Peter Schmeichel's. Those were the names in the hits. This team, I we've put together a team that just screams 1990s. They don't have to necessarily only played in that decade, but as soon as you think of that player or that position, that is the decade you think of. The typical 1990s 11. And we had a lot of fun debating who should go in what position. We went to down avenues and players that I didn't think we would. They weren't on my list. Um, but it's, a, it's an enjoyable uh, experience nonetheless. Uh, thank you to everyone because I put this thing out on the Twitter feed as well. Um, we got a great response actually. So thank you to, to everyone who got involved picking their own 11s. And I think most people got the concept as well. So thank you very much for that. And if you want to do your own, I think I say that on the show anyway, please, yeah, Check us up on Twitter and put your 11. You know, we're at AK90s on Twitter, at AK90s pod on Instagram. So if you want to pick your quintessential 1990s 11, go and do it and let us know because we've had fun doing ours and I'm sure you would do. Because to be honest, there is no wrong answer. So you can put together what you think, your personal opinion 11. There is, there is no wrong answer to this, um, which makes it even more fun in my opinion. So let's get cracking in a building this quintessential 1990s team it's myself it's matthew chris it's the newest member of the crew mr paul benson as we get down and dirty to the nitty gritty of the most perfect 1990s 11 you could ever imagine sit back and enjoy a nostalgic ride through the decade that truly changed the face of football if the 90s are now retro, then it's time for a celebration. Welcome to Alive and Kicking, the 90s football podcast. Na 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 na. Yeah, hello. We're back again for another slice of 90s football nostalgia here on Alive and Kicking, the original 90s football podcast. And uh, today we're doing an 11. You bloody love an 11, didn't you? I know I do. Um, yeah, we, are, we threw this out on Twitter uh, last week and it did quite well, actually. So I'll read your tweets uh, as I can, if I remember, as I go. We had quite a few, so I tried to incorporate as many as I can. Today we are building the most typical quintessential 90s 11 that we can think of. Now, that doesn't mean the best. So because I think we did that like episode 10 or something like that. And Joel inexcusably made us leave out Paul Gascoigne, but I still won't. You know, I haven't forgiven him for that. He's not on today's show, so he can't defend himself. Um, but yeah, so if you want to do the best 11, go right back into the archives. And, and this is more players you associate with the 90s. We kind of give them the cliches, if you would, as I mentioned in the intro as well. Uh, to help me pick them, we brought the band back together from the last episode. Yes. As always, joining me, he is a writer. And now, woo, get him with his pear cider in tow. He's now a podcast host with his football friend. Would 10-year-old Matthew believe it? Coming soon, the Brian McClare podcast. Go on, I, do don't you know about, a, I don't know about a 10-year-old Matthew. I think a 44-year-old Matthew <laughs> can believe it, to be honest. But, um, yeah, I mean, what took us so long, really? I mean, yeah, true. it's been on the cards. We've got the diary, which, if you don't know, is on... The set pieces website, Jockey's Diary, and now the full audio version. All we need now is um, an Amazon uh, or a Netflix series, I think. Don't we? <laughs> <laughs> 
It's coming. So it's called Life of Brian, nicely. Um, when can we expect to drop on, I want to say the airwaves. Is that a correct term for podcast? I should know this. But yeah, when will we see it dropped on the podcast platforms of people's choices? Well, there's already a preview out there. Um, we're planning to record the first show this weekend where we get to chat with Brian and get his feelings and his, a few of his um, unique thoughts that only uh, can come from the mind of Mr. McClare. And then um, we plan to have a few special guests from the world of music and sport each time. Um, he's obviously got quite an extensive contact book. Yeah. Um, we've even got his son, Liam, doing the um, the theme tune and the jingles. And um, yeah, it's uh, it, uh, a 90s reference. I'm thinking of it as like the TFI Friday for the uh, <laughs> 2020s. <laughs> music, chat, bit of, bit bit of, of everything. Brilliant. Okay, well, we'll look forward to that, and maybe we'll even get Brian on this show to, to plug it as well. Oh, yeah, I don't know. You're a rival now. I'm a ri- oh, we're rivals now. Join us as well. Fresh from uh, our last episode where we were wishing things that had gone from the 90s, he's now got him to pick his own 11 as well. Here's the ringmaster for Hooks on Wrestling, Mr. Paul Benson. How you doing, Paul? I'm good, Ash. Thank you very much. I'm, I'm slightly in awe of Matthew now, actually. Like, Brian McClare doing a podcast. Like, I've suddenly come across all of Flutter. That's awesome. Uh, <laughs> yep, I, mean, I know how you feel. You were, you know, <laughs> imagine how it felt when uh, at Christmas when I woke up and found him asleep on my couch. I mean... That is a tale to tell. The only thing I've ever found on Christmas that I didn't expect there was a few pool balls that I'd stolen from the pub the night before. But Brian <laughs> McClare would beat that hands down. I thought, yeah, I thought Father Christmas had come down my chimney with the uh, his, that beard of his. He's got a massive beard. Did he mistake? You thought you thought you asked for some uh, chocolates and he actually bought you chocky. Was that uh, the, uh, very good? Is that the problem? Yeah, <laughs> couldn't well, help myself. If you could do a podcast of any footballer of your choice, who would you do a podcast with? Oh, man, that's a great question. Um, That's what I'm here for. (laughs) (laughs) If I I could do one with any footballer, well, the obvious answer has got to be Gaza, hasn't it? But but I think think truly the real answer, I'd love to do one with with Gary Lineker. I I think he's a fascinating bloke with a lot to say and some really interesting stories. But the the role he's in now, he's, he's the one doing the questions. Mm, um, and he doesn't often get to, to voice his own opinion on the airways. I know he's got a, a strong voice on Twitter, so I'd love to. I'd love to sit down and have a chat with Gary. Yeah, that's a good one. Yeah, he did that podcast with Danny Baker, didn't he? Before Danny Baker decided to be awfully racist on Twitter, so you know that was that was quite <laughs> good. But yeah, Lincoln's a good one. I was trying to think. I think Gazer is probably the ideal answer, isn't it? Maybe I'll get not be Roy Wegley for you. I'm about to say maybe you know I'm now you know I've got Roy Wegley's phone number in my phone, so I I could ask him um, all to be revealed soon. When when I release that interview with the great Roy Wegley, yeah, it's all coming. Don't worry. Um, anyway, let's get cracking on on this um one to eleven. Then um, I think I've explained it well enough. I think I confused both of you when I was trying it, and I must say disclaimer early on: Matthew wasn't ascent wasn't booked on this originally we had Joel yeah, I was left well and truly on the bench you're on the subs bench so you, you had li- you had little time to prepare for this as, um, me and Paul had a little bit longer to, to prepare um but I'm sure with your fountain of knowledge you'd be able to he's kind of going to be the judicator almost but throw a few, name, a few names in as we go as well I think that's kind of there's no right answers as well I'm like this is just all for fun there's the amount of people that guys mentioned on Twitter that I was like oh yeah him I should have said him but we'll see we'll see how we get on um, 
I've kind of put them in categories, which I'll say as we go, but they don't have to be in that category. It was just kind of as I was thinking of it as we go. Um, and as always, if you haven't replied to the Twitter feed um, already, when we post this up, tell us what you'd have picked as well. So at AK90s, as always. Okay, goalkeeper. Now, I kind of described this to the pair as kind of in slightly two different categories. Firstly, I think the first rule, he has to have worn one of the most ridiculous goalkeeper shirts of the 90s. That's a given. That I think any goalkeeper who's in this quintessential, you have to imagine them in full-on 90s regatta of flashy colours and stupid shapes and everything like that. Possibly an unsung hero, possibly portly, or possibly kind of a uh, journeyman foreigner as well. But um, let I'll let Paul go first on this one. Paul, who was the name that sprung to mind instantly for you as a quintessential Ooh. goalkeeper of the 1990s? There's a few I looked at here, and I'm I'm trying to sort of straddle that line between, you know, someone who's not massively obscure. You know, I'm not I don't want someone who's played three games for Barnes no. in 1998, yeah. but but also not someone who's is is totally totally well known. And I think the answer I've come up with, um, he obviously he was a number one in the Premier League for a lot of time, so he is well known and he is a big 90s name. But I just there's something about him that really does it for me, and. He is the quintessential 90s goalkeeper, Kevin Pressman. <laughs> now, there's no, there's no sort of finesse with that pick. There's no, no trying to be clever. He <laughs> is, <laughs> a, he's, a, he's a fat goalkeeper with a funny shirt and a hell of a penalty on him. So that'll do for me. That is all I need. He used to thwack a penalty, didn't he? Proper whack a penalty in. There was like the net had no chance. Definitely. That, that is that is a good shout. And you know what? He's one of the persons that I thought of first. Um, Matthew's just held up his piece of paper. Well, if this paper? was count, if this was countdown, I'll be sliding this piece of paper across <laughs> the desk to prove that I had the same answer. But yeah. I think I think that was because you kind of planted the seed in our mind when you did. said yeah. portly '90s goalkeeper with a loud <laughs> kit. I mean that that basically leads you down one one path, doesn't it? it? Does, so, doesn't it? And you don't need a lot, do you? You don't. And I think as we spoke on last episode actually as well about how goalkeepers and their kits have got a bit too cool in in the modern era I think no no disrespect because I know he's on Twitter and I tried to get him on this podcast before I don't think Kevin Pressman was particularly cool I don't think he was meant to be so I think that sums up the era pretty nicely um I was going to put up an argument for for my choice but actually you've got two I've got two versus one already um, well I mean I must admit that wasn't my final choice in the end okay who was your final choice but what I went, what I did was because I was thrown in at the deep end. I kind of got. This is my excuse for getting the wrong end of the stick. <laughs> but what I did was, instead of picking a '90s eleven of typical players, what I did was I picked a '90s eleven of typical positions. Oh, okay. So, so I've gone down. Although I did have Pressman written down, I thought, okay, I'll think outside the box. So what I've done is I've I've picked the league league cup goalkeeper. Coca-Cola Cup, whatever it was at the time, because it was so they were so prominent yeah. in the nineties. So I've picked either Gary Walsh, Gary Walsh, Pilkington, yes. Mike Hooper, whoever the club was that had a league. Because seeing as rotation really started in the decade of the nineties, yeah, there were goalkeepers that never really got an airing until the League Cup came around. I mean, now it's now it's seen as the, seen as the norm, isn't it? League Cup, Europa League, you play your reserve keeper. But there was a time when in the mid nineties, particularly from a United point of view that the reserve keeper became a League Cup goalkeeper. Totally. I mean, I, yeah. th I thought Gary Walsh had left United about 10 years ago and then <laughs> two years before, and then he suddenly started appearing in League Cup games and then he even got a game in the Champions League game uh, 
at Barcelona when you Barcelona, got... wasn't it? Yeah. 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 So, back, yeah. so just to be contrary, I thought, okay, I'll um I'll rather than names, even though I've named names, I'm gonna go for positions. So my yeah. position is League Cup goalkeeper, and I'm gonna put Kevin Pilkington in there. It's funny you mentioned the name there that, that I actually ended up um, circling, which was Mike Hooper. That was that was the yeah, one. I've got him in as well. Yeah, I, 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 there's just something so '90s about like he was like a an, a well-known second choice. That like, you know he was Liverpool's second choice for a long time. Then he went to Newcastle for that move where he was going to be number one. And then I think they bought Shaka Hislop within possibly I, I can't get me dates Cabrera in my head, but not long after he maybe even been the same yeah. year. And he was number two well, again, pretty much. Yeah, well, he was one of the few number two goalkeepers. I mean, now you can pretty much name every club yeah. and their second keeper. Um, whereas back then, you really didn't know who a second keeper was until someone got injured, a keeper got injured, or you know, it was suspended, and then you suddenly had this unknown thrown in. And that was what my thinking really behind this sort of uh, position of reserve goalkeeper. Because in the nineties, with the rotation brought in famously by Ferguson, but you suddenly got this sort of trend for goalkeepers to appear that wouldn't weren't your first choice keeper and you'd end up scratching your head thinking um who, who's that i mean i don't know who you're who would be the equivalent of qpr under stage girl or tony roberts would have tony been roberts, yeah, tony roberts who, who did eventually become number one there was kind of a fight between the two of them for a long time but yeah the you know then we had seb dykstra for a little while who came down from dundee with a great tash who's very 90s but I, I think he falls into that as as paul said the three game at barnsley kind of category where he didn't actually play that much um, so, yeah, definitely Mike Cooper. I think we have to sit on Kevin Pressman, though, don't we? I think that, that clearly was the first fault for all of us. Um, yeah. it's, it, it's a quintessential 90s goalkeeper. So as much as I was thinking Mike, Mike Cooper, I think having discussed it with my peers here, I think I'm locking him in, as they say in these days. My, uh, not to say Mike Cooper there. Uh, Kevin Pressman is our first entrant into our quintessential 90s 11. Quick shout out to the... I, I, won't have time to go for everyone's name, but there was a Ludet McClosco that got a shout, um, which is obviously nice. Dimitri Karim, very 90s we've had as well. There's a few, there's another Kevin, Brian Gunn, possibly. Eric Chorsbeck was a good one. Very 90s, very of, of that time. Uh, Ian Walker, maybe. Um, but I think Kevin Pressman, that's lock him in. Okay, that's we're doing for obviously we're doing 442. It's a 90s football podcast, <laughs> uh, of course. You're not, are you? <laughs> no, I'm not. Oh, purely, what? purely because I went down the route of the alternative position. So, uh, are we are you Glenn hodling us? Well, you, you can't have uh, a 90s team without a sweeper, can you? Oh, well, he's gone proper, <laughs> he's gone Mark Wright on us. I, oh, I don't even oh, need to tell you who it is. <laughs> he's gone all continental. Well, I mean, he's you you blown me 11 out of, out of the water now. Well, not necessarily. I mean, you think World Cup Italia 90. What was yeah, the th- One I thing know. that came out of that was England changing to the sweeper system midway through the group stage, and it was the, the biggest revelation ever. And, um, I know, but it doesn't help how I've set out these categories that you've added an extra semi-centre-back into it now. Which well, one, one can be a midfielder if you want to yeah, be. Yeah, exactly. Picky um, about it. The sweeper position in general was a very 90s thing, isn't it? it was well, so why do you think I put it in? Yeah, I don't think anyone called it a sweeper anymore. It's just the third centre-back, no. isn't it? It's not It's not even a thing anymore. Don't know when that died out. Um, anyway, right back. I, I mean, the, I'm the, the, the name, the first name will come to me, I'll tell you in a second. But I think the kind of, the what am I looking for? The criteria is the word I'm looking for. That I think both right back and left back, well, I slightly cheated on the left back, but they have to be reliable. They have to be Mr. Reliable, 
seven out of ten every week. The Dennis Irwin, if you would, because he's not going to be our left back. He's far too good. So there's a few for me that were sort of around this category. You know, the, the Roland Nilsons, the the Gunnar Hallers we had, but. For me, and he won't surprise any long-term friends of mine, um, we had a running joke about this guy, which I won't go into because no one will understand it. It was a very drunken moment that it was funny at the time and, uh, you know, had to be there. But for me, number two, Earl the Pearl Barrett. Oh, he's on my list too. (laughs) Steady, reliable. Ryan Giggs once called him, and I quote him in a 442 interview, the best right back outside of Paolo Maldini he's ever faced. Uh, there you go. That's if that's not you know some sort of credit that is. It's probably too good for our eleven. But El Barra, who's a very nice man, I've met him on a couple of occasions. Is my uh, is my number two. So Paul, beat that. Well, I, he would have been. I, I was. I've got a couple of names for each position, and he was one of the two down for right back. The other one, I've, try- I've tried to steer away from the big clubs as much as possible generally, but this name just keeps popping back to me every single time. Paul Parker. Oh, Paul Parker is, to me, <laughs> the 90s right back. He's just, he's there. If you talk about dependable, you know, he's got his, you know, it's got his name written all over it. He was, you know, all those marauding, I know you're, you're a big fan, Ash, but... Yeah. Totally. You, know, you think of those you think of those nineties teams, you know, the Man United team primarily. And even, you know, even Dennis Irwin gets a claim as left back. How many I've lost count of the number of teammates and managers and whatnot that have called him, you know, such an unsung hero, but you never heard anyone say the same thing about Paul Parker. But I remember him being just as good back in back in there. I remember, you know, didn't feel like an imbalanced team. It's not like you had a back three of Irwin, Pallister, Bruce, and then a spare part on the right in the right back slot. He was right there, um, so he'd, he'd get my pick. Paul Parker. Oh, Paul, why you do that to me? That you, you're giving me biasism now over my actual pick. <laughs> if, if, it's any, if it's any consolation, I quickly made a drastic change and I've dragged the sweeper off. And I've Good. I had put I actually had Paul Parker down in my wing back position because he he played in that position in Italy '90, didn't he? He, he did. was in that that back. Yeah. So, I mean, it, talking to Mr. Versatile, he, he could play there as well. Yeah. Oh, well, I, I can't I can't not say Paul Parker now, can I? I mean, coming from a QPR point of view, I mean, he left Rangers after that World Cup. So, I mean, he was more Man United, Man United in the 90s. But for, for in the late mm. 80s, I mean, he was, he was a fantastic footballer for us. I remember him scoring a, an amazing team goal. I think he finished it off against Luton in, in 1990, season. So, yeah, he left after that, didn't he? So, we had him, Italian 90, he was ours. Then we had him for a season. Then he went to Old Trafford. Um, underrated as a centre-back as well, even though for his height, I think he was called the ferret at one point because of his jump or something like that. He, he, he was a great utility defender, wasn't he? Yeah. That's another position that I've got down here as my classic positions of the 90s is the utility man. I mean, and Paul Parker was great at that ability to sort of work across the back four, so... Okay, well, I think that sways it as well. Okay, Paul Parker, who's been on this podcast actually, um, very uh, back in the archive, very nice man as well. He um, he's the first name in the back four. A um, couple other names that were mentioned on Twitter. We had uh, Francis Benali, he's very nineties. Uh, John Scales, uh, Rob Jones. Did I say him? Because he was on my list very much. So uh, Barry Venison, who could play it right back. Warren Barton's a good one. Very nice. Oh, good shout. Very nice. He was close in mine. Uh, I'm just seeing if there's any more. 
uh, can't Steve Staunton, possibly too well known for that. But yeah, I think Paul Parker. I don't think many people said Paul Parker. So yeah, I'm going with that. Parker in. Okay, over on the other side. I use this position on the left back to get the possibly the style of footballer from the 90s that you don't really get anymore, certainly not in the same mould, and that's the hard man. Now, you don't have to go down that route. Again, as I've said, that could be another left, the left back could also be something of a Mr. Reliable because that's what the fullbacks were kind of, they were in the 1990s, especially. They weren't the marauding wing backs or the you know, Trent Alexander Arnolds and Andy Robertsons that we see now. Um, so the easy pick for me, and he is quintessentially 90s because I don't think he'd, he'd be this type of footballer now. He certainly wouldn't end up at Liverpool either. Is, you know, the Terminator himself, Julian Dix, gets in my 90s 11 at left back. Yep, I don't think you'll get many arguments from us on that one. I mean, you, I must admit, you, you led me down a different route there because I was thinking you were going down a route of a name I'd just written down on my piece of paper. I don't know whether you want, want me to reveal it now. Or, oh, no, um, go for it. No, reveal it. Well, you see, before Mark Wright ter- got injured and had to be dragged off and we reverted from the back five <laughs> to a back four, I'd, I'd picked out a, the left back as the left wing back. Yeah. So I was thinking that was very much your classic 90s attacking wing back, your yeah. and that, that kind of player that would... You know, the, the start of that whole thing of defenders rather being rather than being your classic fullback, the sort of marauding wing back that would go attack as well as defend. But unfortunately, because we've had to revert to a back four, I've gone back to um, tradition. Dennis Irwin was one of my obviously on my list. I mean, he kind of got a, a mention earlier on. But again, I'm going with the hard man, the classic 90s position. And it's not going to be a huge surprise because a hard man left back, if it's not Julian Dix, it can only be Stuart Pearce. Yeah. I mean, is he too good, though? Is he, would he get in a, like, all, if we did an all, again, if we did the best team of the 90s or even the best Premier League team of the 90s, well, I think Stuart well, Pearce would be, he's quintessentially 90s, but is he? I don't think he was too good because, with all due respect to Forrest, I mean, he was never linked with a sort of a. True. Top, I mean, it wasn't really a top four then or big five or whatever it was, but I mean, he was never, he was never flirting with moves to yeah, Liverpool, you know. I mean, talking of big moves to Liverpool, I mean, you could put Julian Dix in that category. Yeah. I mean, he he probably was Mr. He was more of a sort of a big name than Pierce, really, in that, that soonest yeah, era. Arguably played for a bigger club at the time. Yeah, I see your point. Paul, where, where, are, you, where are you floating on this one? I'm well. I'm, I'm certainly with Matthew on the Stuart Pearce um, on the Stuart Pearce point because it, it quality-wise, absolutely, he was one of the best fo- uh, best footballers, best left backs of the decade. But because he stayed at Forest for the majority of that time, it qualifies him. I think he's that step below the elite. You know, yeah. if you'd have gone to Man United or whatever, then we'd be having a different conversation. But I totally think he counts because Forest was his ceiling. You've, you've named the two that I I had as number one and two: Pearce and Dix. Um, but just throw another name into the mix. And again, I disqualified him because of the team he played for. But it, it's almost charming, this guy, you know, part of the most famous back four of the 90s, but definitely seemed like the fourth wheel, as it were. Definitely seemed like he was a step behind the other three. Um, Nigel Winterburn. Yeah. Friend of the show. My pick. End of the show. End of the show. There you go. But that's that. That is me clutching at straws because you guys have got the top two there, and I would, if I was, if I was casting the deciding vote, my vote would by a hair's breadth go to Stuart Pearce. Okay, I'll, I'll go with that. 
I love I love Piercy and he was psycho he was obviously cool so I I'll go with that and yeah he gets he ticks the hard man box um hell of a free kick on him as well just checking to see if any what other shouts we had on the Twitter feed uh Tony Dorigo another friend of the show we we do have a, a partial for a left back um on a live and kicking if, if you listen to any of our uh, live shows Mark Edworthy is is a fantastic shout from Manny Hawks. Um, I don't think he's, he's quite hard enough to be fill that spot, but a very, very 90s footballer. Uh, Winterburn's got a few shouts. Uh, we've got there from Irwin, uh, Stuart Pierce as well. So, yeah, okay, Pierce is in. What about the, other, the, other one I, the other one I had down there, I've got just want to give a quick mention, it was Andy Hinchcliffe. Oh, yeah, not quite, yeah. It's a different style of um, left back. Yeah. And a, a peach of a left foot as well. Absolutely. You should hope so for a left back. But yeah, he but- was one of those... He was one of those players that was the rarity, wasn't he, of uh, England's prob- left-sided problem, wasn't he? I mean, yeah. Hinchcliffe was always one of the... Like your friend, uh, who might get a mention later on, Andy Sinton. Um, <laughs> you know, it seemed at that period, if you could kick a ball with the left foot, you were going to get an England cap. Or, talk, or, or be mentioned <laughs> for one, anyway. Strange, because you both mentioned QPR players in Paul Parker. And I suppose I've slightly discarded QPR players, because to me, they're so at the forefront of my mind that I don't think of them as obscure as they probably are to other people. Like David Bardsley probably should have had an absolutely stonewall shout for right back as Mr. Reliable, because he was one of the best right backs in the league. And you can say Clive Wilson as well, very um, underrated at the time. But I'll leave my biases at home. But I don't think you realise what a great team... QPR had. Oh, well, I do. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you could, you know, we've already named uh, in this so far, every position we've named a QPR player. You have. Goalkeeper, right back, left back. Halcyon yeah. days, Matthew. Halcyon days. Um, Alan McDonald to come. Danny Maddox. Yeah. Are they yeah. in there? <laughs> yeah. We'll see when we get into centre backs. They don't quite fit into the two categories that I kind of created. Again, we don't have to go with them, but I was trying to give some, uh, some guidance to where I was, my head was at when I was putting this 11 out to, to everyone. Um, so my first centre-back, and I think this is something, again, we mentioned on the last show, um, I wanted him to have the ability to play as a centre-back, but at some point in his career, go and be a striker. Because that doesn't happen anymore, because defenders are defenders and strikers are strikers. You know, Virgil van Dijk isn't playing up front. Um, I, I don't know what you're pointing to. <laughs> Sorry, I'm just proving that I'm I'm going to just... Is that was your position? Completely. Was that your yeah. position that you had in your position? Yeah, it, was the, it was the defender come striker. Exactly. And for me, the only person that screams that and screams 90s at the same time, because I think Chris Sutton is the kind of glitzy version of that, because obviously he went on to win the league. But it has to be Paul Walhurst. <laughs> there it is. <laughs> <laughs> has to be. Yes. For, for a season to, went up front and was like a goal almost got an England call up is, is there I can't Paul I don't know if you can beat that I don't know if there's a better option if, we, if we're going with this thing well mate if we're going with the centre back slash forward the only other name that springs to mind is Dion Dublin yes and it, and he is again a little bit too glossy a little bit too cool yeah. um, there, there is no beating Paul Waters there mate that is the one Dublin, a def- was he a striker come defender or defender come striker? Because there is a difference. Come def- he was defender. Striker come defender, yeah. I think. Yeah, he was. He did the opposite, didn't he? He became a defender. Sort of I guess he did. Him. Yeah. Um, loves some stairs. Loves stairs leading upstairs, doesn't he? Does the, the house under was it home under the hammer? He says. Well, <laughs> um, I think we've I think that we've done that one quite. I mean, 
no, the people on replied to our Twitter feed don't know that I've put these in certain categories. So, I mean, there, there's loads of shouts for centre backs here. Um, I'll, once we've gone through the other one, I'll go through them. But I think quintessential 90s position changing to a striker because you wouldn't have that now. I think, yeah, that's, that's two Sheffield Wednesday players we've got in already. That's an interesting shout I didn't see coming with Pressman and Paul Warhurst. But very 90s, very, you know, that was one of their heydays, I guess. Um, so who's gone, Paul? Who's partnering? Paul Warhurst in your 90s 11 in, in, in a centre-back position? Well, I look at my second centre-backs and I have inadvertently got a bit of a theme going on here. There's okay. four I've got for this position and the, I suppose the theme would be slightly ropey foreign <laughs> centre-back. Good theme. Like, you know, you'd get him in there and he'd have, I don't know, two or three good games out of five, but then he would have two absolute clangers probably be pictured in the newspaper wearing national dress for his country at some point um (laughs) probably like probably has some weird quirks that would be pointed out on uh, a club video vhs release um at some point during the decade so i'm looking at two names here and i think i'm gonna go for i've got a a real soft spot for that mid 90s leicester city team from 95 96 so I'm going to throw in Pontus Carmack. Oh, Pontus. That's my pick. Isn't that, isn't that the Janino's en- enemy, Matthew? Isn't that the man we Is, talked about? He apparently, didn't he mark him out of the game in a League Cup game? Yes, yeah, somewhere, somewhere Joe Young is sort of hiding under his blanket at the main <laughs> engine. <laughs> I, think he's still, I think he's still following Janino around. I think he, uh, <laughs> he didn't get <laughs> I'm more interested that you've got a soft spot for that Leicester team. That's very random, Mr. Benson. I love that. I must. Have, I think there's something about the Midlands um, that really does it for me in the mid-90s because I mentioned last time I was on that the first proper game of football I ever watched was the playoff final in 93-94. The first one on TV, shall I say, and that was Derby-Leicester. And the Forest team from 94-95 is absolutely wonderful as well. And then the Derby team from, what would it be like, 96-97 when you got your... Well, I won't name any of the names because we might come on to them. But those three teams from that period of time are absolutely wonderful. So, like I say, I think there must be some weird quirk in my brain that has this East Midlands 90s football fetish. Um, it's very, it's very niche now, isn't very it? Very niche, niche indeed, for, especially for a man from Grimsby who's uh, <laughs> who didn't step foot in the East Midlands until at least two thousand three. Um, so yeah, I think he's he's great, but he's not the last Leicester player from that team. I'll be uh, making a case for that's for sure. Oh, interesting, uh, Matthew. Go on then. Can you rival Paul's fancy foreigner in uh, in central defence, as he would have been called at that well, point? I can because I did come up with a, a category, but again, I was rushing, even though this is no excuse because we I did end up having more time than I thought. But I went for, and there's pretty much only one okay answer for this category, although though I can maybe think of two, uh, and I'll see if you can think of any others. But yeah. I've gone for the I've gone for the penalty taking centre half, which is a very which is a big rarity these days. Yeah. But, but I based it purely on the 1990-91 season. When Steve Bruce scored 19 goals. Oh, yeah, he did. And I think about 15 of them were penalties. Um, <laughs> so I based it on that. And then I was, I had it in my head that I wanted to have a, a not a goal scoring centre half, but a penalty taking centre half. So I thought, right, I'm going to have, have that. So I put Steve Bruce in. And then, of course, I thought, well, I'm not sure I can think of any more. But then I thought, did David Unsworth not 
Was yeah, he not the name take... that came yeah. to mind instantly. But, but he, yeah. He's the one. Yeah, I mean, he was 90. Yeah, I know he went into the 2000s, but I mean, we can still still group him oh, into... Oh, was that his England debut? Against Japan in the uh, the 1995 Umbro, Umbro Cup? Cup. <laughs> well, you, were, you were a lot of key England players, didn't oh, you? No, yeah. Alan Shearer. Yeah, Stan Clemmore yeah. made his debut that Hang day. on, hang on. Are we calling David Unsworth a key England player now? <laughs> Matthew clearly <laughs> is. <laughs> um, he, wasn't he, until John Terry overtook him, the highest scoring defender in Premier League history, I think? Yeah, well, that's why he came wow. to mind. I mean, so I remember that terrific season Bruce had when, uh, yeah, that 91 season when United got to that, well, won the Cup Winners' Cup. I mean, Bruce was banging in penalties every, well, every week, it seemed. And it was just such a rarity for him to take because you can't think of a less likely penalty taker, can you? I mean, he wasn't renowned for his shooting. He wasn't really renowned for anything other than being brave and, and you know, a bit of a rugged centre-back. So to, to step up and take penalties in key European games, cup games, big league games. It was just, it was a bizarre, um, bizarre choice of penalty taker. I was going to say, I have to ask somebody why he was ever picked as a penalty taker for United. I think I can, you know, I think I can think of somebody I could ask, you know, that would have that information. Yeah, you, you can discuss that on your your, your next podcast with your, Possibly, with your yeah. friend. Um, <laughs> the, the, so you had a different category, which we won't go too into because we could be here all night, which was kind of the defender's defender, like, you know, the leader. Not quite hard man, but someone you know you look up to who was going to be captain. The Tony Adams, but kind of the you know I wanted the the semi watertight, um, the light version. Sorry, I should say of Tony Adams. So someone like Steve Walsh of Leicester again. <laughs> um, coming back to those again, so they, they were in my yeah. to a certain extent. Lucas Radibi, you know, leader, respected, very nineties. But I I think I'm leaning more towards the the foreign fancy Dan as well because. I think penalty takers were a bit rarer and I'm not giving you an excuse to get Steve Bruce in this team. So it, I think that is the category, but I, the name that's in my head, I mean, I know Paul, you said you had a couple of other names on there is the man who's probably responsible for one of Martin Tyler's most orgasmic commentary, Philip Albert. Well, he's the poster boy for this, isn't he? Like yeah, he, you know, he is the one where, where he comes to mind instantly. The other, and, I, and I've got him kind of with an asterisk next to him for that reason, because it, to me, he's a bit too obvious. Um, <laughs> so I've gone with actually one of his teammates, who um, who I think was only with him for one season, if I remember right. I could be wrong on that one. Uh, Mark Hottinger. Oh, Hottinger. Oh, yes. The little Swiss with a, look like a, a bit like a mouse. That's it. And I can't swear to this, but I imagine if we Googled hard enough, we'd easily find a picture of him in Lederhosen. <laughs> so he's a good was he a so winger? that's my pick does my memory serve me right was he more of a fullback oh you can't you're not going to split hairs on this are you oh <laughs> he says defend maybe Wikipedia. maybe I misremember it let's 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 face it Newcastle defenders were a bit interchangeable back in back yeah. in those days weren't that, they they, 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 <laughs> they weren't exactly full of positional wherewithal let's that's put it that way true. um I think I'm going to have to go with the poster boy, though, because I just, you know, he's Philip Albert. And when you in your intro to, you know, the fancy foreigner picture, you can imagine him in Belgiumish, Belgique, fancy dress. It would whatever. be a shell suit, wouldn't it? It would yeah, be a shell suit. Totally. You can imagine those, you know, cringy photo shoots that they'd make him do and everything. So I think I'm locking him in. Philip Albert, 
alongside Paul Warhurst, Paul Parker and Stuart Pearce, <laughs> backed by Kevin Pressman. I love this team already. I'm starting to think of how many of these have I've got in Corinthian figures because I actually build these out of Corinthian figures. That would be quite fun. Brilliant. Uh, we'll see. Um, right. We're going to take a short break because we've got an interview as well. Somebody I interviewed that I actually forgot, so I'm going to use it on this show, that I had it and I hadn't used it. So let's get it out there while we can. He's somebody I don't think will be in this team because I think he's far too good, although there will be maybe a semi-argument to some people, but I don't think we'll go down that route. Um, he's a bit of a ledge, actually, and he's probably the best British rapper of all time. He's John Barnes talking to me on the live and kicking earlier last year. I can't remember the exact date, but so if there's a slight couple of references to the last summer, then I apologise. But it's all 90s, baby. It's John Barnes talking to us. Um, let's take you back then to, to the 1990s. Um, we call it the decade that, that changed football forever. You were obviously a massive part of that. 1990, I mean, that was quite apt because it was the last time Liverpool won the league. What are your memories of that team that season? It feels for me like that was slightly the end of an era for Liverpool. Um, how, how do you look back upon that season now? When it's only looking back, you think it's the end of an era. And you understand it was an end of an era. At the time, you didn't think it was going to be an end of an era. Um, I look back at that time, 1990, is the same I looked at 1987, 88, um, 89, and 90. It was the same team. We're doing the same things. Arsenal beat us in 89, but we're still hot. Yeah. one minute away from winning the league. So we did it the following year. and then the fo- so, But then all of a sudden, it's a big change of football in the decade, as you say, because the Premier League came in. And once the Premier League came in, football changed. Because if you look at in the 80s, and football ever since, up until, up until 1992, teams didn't just buy players to try and win. You know, you organically worked with the players you had. And those players, Brian Robson, best player in England, England captain, was at Man United, finishing fifth or wherever they were finishing. He didn't leave because he wanted to go to a top team to win the league. He stayed at that team to help. So, Glenn Holland, he had players at their clubs. Whereas once the Premier League started, the clubs with the money then, then started to try and buy the best players to then pay for your club. And that is what happened when, all of a sudden, once that happened, you had a rapid turnover of players every single year. Whereas in the old days, Liverpool, as an example... Liverpool had the same nucleus of player for 10 years. One or two players came in. They then stayed Then one or two. Whereas, of course, once the 90s came, 92, 91, 92, Liverpool and other clubs were signing six, seven players every year. And then did they get the history of the club, the traditions, the way that the Liverpool ways or the Man United were the Arsenal way? Things were changing. And for Liverpool, who were the top team, things changed for Arsenal for the better, for Manchester United for the better. But for Liverpool, who were the top team at that time, it didn't change for the better because things changed those teams could improve yeah. we never necessarily had to improve in terms of the personnel but then that kind of like took a down a downward spiral mm. i feel like when graham seen this gaming in 92 it was like a constant transitional period for liverpool of, of that team you were kind of still at the center of it and then the new team what was it at the time that never got liverpool to that next level in that decade well as i said if you look from the 80s when ronnie Whelan and ian rush came in in the early 80s as young players you had a nucleus of a squad Ronnie Whelan and Ian Rush came in to learn the Liverpool way, which came from Bill Shankly. Then when they became older, new players came in to learn the Liverpool way. Then all of a sudden, once you have seven, six, seven players leaving Liverpool in 92, of the senior players, and then six players coming in from all over different places who were good players individually, but then what is the Liverpool way? Who's going to teach them the Liverpool way? How do they learn from that? And there was no one there. So things then changed. Great individual players, but the Liverpool weren't the team they were anymore. Um, and that's the way football was going. You know, because with, you know, and then every single year you started to sign more players. Um, so Alex Ferguson was allowed in his first four years to develop and build. 
And then he did something similar to what Liverpool did. Kept the nucleus of a squad for years, 10, 15 years. One or new, two new players came in at the time. And, but the Manchester United way continued. Then, obviously, once he left, you can see what happened to Manchester United. And now, fortunately for us, Jurgen Klopp, as much as I think Brendan Rodgers was harshly treated because he was a very good manager who, you know, I'm not saying he could have done what, what, what Jurgen Klopp did, but he, if he was supporting more, we, we, we would have been okay. But Jurgen has now been given the power by the fans to then create something new that everybody has to buy into. And he's brought back this humility, this attitude of togetherness, no superstar to the team. It's all about the team, regardless of whether we play Man City or, or Norwich. We play the exact same way. We train the exact same way. We're a humble team. And so he's brought back a, a, a new Liverpool way that people understand. I have to ask you about the 96 Cup final. I mean, that squad was unfairly tagged the Spice Boys, um, the white suits. I mean, what were your feelings on those suits? And cream kind of suits. tag as well. I mean, a cream. cream. Sorry, they were cream. <laughs> as, if, as, if, as if that makes it any better. <laughs> you it was an unfair tag. tag. Look, when you, when you lose, yeah. if we won with cream suits and Ray-Bans, we would have been cool. But when you lose, you're stupid. And when you don't win the league with the players that we actually have, we're the Spice Boys. But in terms of our young players, who are good professionals who wanted to do well. But of course, like footballers, young single footballers that are going out, Ryan Giggs and David Beckham and those players yeah. were much different. But because they're winning, no one says mm -hmm. that. And they're in an environment where Alex Ferguson, which radio has brought, in, brought them up in a much more disciplined way than the Liverpool environment. Because Liverpool environment was never one for... Um, Liverpool football club to, to, to insi insist on players behaving themselves. Never yeah. from Bill Shankly's time. But what they had was players who knew how to perform, even if they were out the night before, more so in training, how to train every single day to enable them to win on a Saturday. Whereas if your attitude is that you take care of yourself, you do what you want, but you perform, when you have young players, that's not the way to be brought up. You can't say to a young 17-year-old, you go and do what you want and then play. That's why Liverpool never had a young team. In history, from the 80s, 70s, 80s, yeah. they had one or two young players with senior players who taught them what to do. If you get lots of young players and you say to them, do what you want, then they won't be brought up in the right way unless they have a manager like Sir Alex Ferguson because that was his philosophy in terms of bringing them up. So we weren't any different to the Man United players. It's just that they were winning and we weren't. So we got on fairly tight. As much as I was a spy for because I'm too old. <laughs> <laughs> you say that though, um, there were a couple of moments, definitely, or a few moments in the 90s. I remember vividly from you the, the goal in the 4-4 at oh. Everton, the, one of my favourite goals of that era, top corner. Um, mm. That pass to Collymore in the famous 4-3. Do you have a moment of that decade for you domestically that you always remember? No, I've never remember. I remember my whole career. I remember the longevity, I remember the consistency, I remember you take the good and the bad and then you average it out. Because of course, when I rubbed to Mercedes tendon of 28 in 92, I became a different player. So I could play midfield and make passes rather than being the player. But I was equally as happy to be playing and, and contributing in a different way, not yeah. getting the praise from the fans as I did before. But I understood that, well, this is football. I, I was lucky to play again because the, 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 the doctor actually said to me when I retired, he didn't tell me at the time because it wouldn't have been a good thing to tell me that. But he thought I wouldn't play again when they saw the rupture on Achilles tendon because it was such a bad one. Um, but I look at my whole career, um, and that is what consistency is about. That is what um, when it, uh, people talk about the Liverpool team now. Um, they do this for eight, nine years. They're one of the greatest teams ever. They do this for two years. They get finished seventh next year and do nothing else. How great is this team? They've had a good season. So I always look at the consistency over a period of time to tell me who I am. So I don't look at individual moments at all. Um, one, I want to talk about England as well quickly. Um, 1990, we're now 30 years ago. It's a big celebration here and there going on. I see podcasts and things like that. What does Italian 90 mean to you and how close England really were to, to, to winning that World Cup? 
Oh, I mean, we're we're very close to getting to the final. Uh, we don't know what would have happened in the final to say yeah. winning it. But what that England team did is what England team do now. We maximize our potential. We were never the best team in the world. So to expect us to win the World Cup was unrealistic. We could have, because we beat Germany. Of course, we can win the Cup final. But to then say we should win the Cup final, no, because they're great teams. You know, you have Brazil, Germany. You've got lots of great teams. And in many respects, what that team had was a togetherness and a spirit and a determination. Because while we may look at Germany, which is our best performance, when we should have won and we lost, yeah. we were lucky against Belgium. Belgium were the better team, but we won. Cameroon were 2-1 up. And then Cameroon went down to 10 men stupidly because they were naive. Yeah. So that team, out of adversity, when things aren't going well, we got the job done. And that is what Liverpool do now. Because this year, they haven't necessarily played well all the time, but they've got the results, which is what the sign of a good side. So, and what helped us was our togetherness and our spirit and determination in 1990. We always ask guests who have played during that era of a Gaza story. Um, have you got a Gaza story from that sort of time you could share with us that's kind of PC-ish allowed? <laughs> um, from 1990. Well, there are lots of Gaza stories. I suppose my favourite Gaza story would be in the, in the, in the World Cup warm-up. Um, no, before we actually go to the World Cup. Uh, no. I've got so many Gaza stories. I'm thinking of one I can tell you a clean one. <laughs> right, this one, yeah. I don't know if you heard this one before. Of course, this, before the semi-final against Germany, Gaza's a really yeah. nervous person. Gaza can't sleep. Yeah. So, I can't remember what day it was, but the night before the game, Gaza couldn't sleep. And then, and Bobby Robson was asking to tell us the next day. Um, Bobby Robson got a call at four o'clock in the morning that Gaza is playing tennis against two drunk Americans <laughs> on the grounds in Italy where we were. Yeah. So Bobby Robson went down at four or five o'clock and he had to chase Gaza around because Gaza was running to get him to go to bed because Gaza said he was in his room and he can't sleep because Gaza is a very nervous person. And he said he looked out of the window and he saw some, some drunk Americans. So he went down to see, talk to them and they said, let's have a game of tennis. Two drunk Americans. So Gaza says, I'll play against you too. And he had two sets of tennis. This is, now this is the morning of the semi <laughs> This is the morning of the match. And he goes and he plays um, two sets of tennis against two drunk Americans. So that's one of the ones I can tell you. Yeah. So you can imagine if that's if that's one of the if that's one of the the, 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 the tamer ones, you can imagine what the other ones are. <laughs> I can indeed. Um we have to ask you about world emotion as well. I mean, for me, I always compare it to the English version of the Fresh Prince of Bel Air. It's like if you're in this country and you don't know every word, then there's something yeah. wrong with you. It's like the rap. I mean, it must mean a lot to you. I mean, where's the weirdest place you've had to kind of get on stage and, and sing the rap? And do you still enjoy it as much as you did thirty years well, ago? Probably probably at the um Champions League final fan park where Liverpool played um, um, against Tottenham uh, the other week. Uh, so, yeah, that's probably the greatest place. But the song, it's an interesting story with the song because there's only six of us turn up to do the song. The rest of the team didn't turn up but they all went to the pub because they thought the song was going to be rubbish. We didn't know it was going to be with New Order. We thought it was just going to be a typical here we go, cup final yeah, song type of thing. Yeah. yeah, so when Bobby Robson said you don't have to meet up with the squad on Sunday, Players hated meeting up Sunday because that's when they wanted to go to the pub. So when Bobby Robson says, go to the studio and do this, this song, the players thought, well, the song's going to be rubbish, so we're not going to go. So me, Gaza, Peter Beresley, Chris Waddle, Des Walker, Steve McMahon, they're the only six who did the song. When it got to number one, did you see them all on the video? Yeah, <laughs> and even Bobby was on the video. But truth be known, there was, they didn't even do the song. And look at the back of the record, it'll say special thanks to these six. Uh, so the song was finished, and there wasn't even no rap. It was not, there's no rap in the song. It's New Order, they're not a rap group. But of yeah. course... There was a few alcoholic beverages there um, and everyone was a little bit drunk. Keith Allen was there. So they said, why don't we just write a rap? So he just wrote a rap and the song was finished. So we all had a rap off. Everybody had to go out the rap. Gaza, Peter Beardsley, 
And of course, with Gadjo and Peter Bears to be from Newcastle, Steve McMahon being a Jordy, Chris Waddle being a Jordy, Steve McMahon being a scout, so sorry. It was between me and Des, so I got to do the rap. <laughs> <laughs> and it's gone down in folklore, my favourite football song. Of Only because time. of New Orleans, not because of the England squad. Take my word for it. Listen soon. <laughs> uh, final question for you then. We always ask guests if they've kept any memorabilia, bit of strange memorabilia from the career. I've got a little John Barnes figure here. Uh, from back in the day. Do you have anything like that you've kept or are you not that sort of person? No, I'm not a memorabilia person, I'm afraid. Um, <laughs> I'm sure I've got some shirts in the loft or something somewhere. Um, a a player, player of the Year trophy, PFA Player of the Year. I'm sure, I'm sure it's somewhere, but uh, no. But I still have it. Um, brilliant. Well, thank you so much for talking to us, John. We look forward to seeing the new season on Now TV. Thank you very much. Thank you very much to John Barnes. He sounds so John Barnes as well. I, I remember saying that at the time. People, what was he like? And I was like, well, he's very John Barnes. He's just got that distinctive voice on him. Although he was very bad at, what is that terrible Danny Dyer program that I watched on the weekend? The Wall. He was on it with Chris Kamara last weekend. Oh. He was answering the questions and I think he got nearly every one of them wrong, including the next line in that famous Only Fools and Horses scene with Del Boy falls through the bar. You know, yeah, drink up, trick, let's go. He got that wrong. So, great footballer, great talker, terrible quiz person. So, thanks, John. Anyway, <laughs> let's do our... We're that's, on him, that's him never coming on the show ever again. Let's do our midfield. Um, centre midfield. First centre midfield. I've gone, uh, again, something we spoke about on the last show. Kind of-ish. The veteran. The player manager, possibly. The one who would spray the balls out, didn't have to do very much, respected from another era. Yeah, I'm talking about Ray Wilkins. Of course, I'm talking about Ray Wilkins. But he's not the only one. There are other candidates in this, this category who, are, who creep into them. This is very much an early 90s thing, because I think player managers and veterans, that by the end of it, have been taken over by other positions that we'll talk about. Um, so that was my thinking for this first spot in, the, in central midfield. Um, Ray Wilkins isn't the only candidate. I, I have other names, but I will leave them for a second in case my fellow guest here wants to, to throw some into the mix. Paul, what, what do you reckon, sir? Mate, overall, this has been my hardest position to pick. Basically, I got started with centre midfielders and just regurgitated a list of semi-obscure central midfielders all yeah. over the page. Which would be worth a podcast in its own, I think, some of these names that I've plucked out. But if we're going with the, the player-manager category, um, the, the ageing gunslinger, there can be only one choice for me, and that is Mr Gordon Strachan. Oh, good one. Yes, he is. Gordon a Strachan. Oh, because he was still going with Coventry as well, wasn't he? Well into the 90s. Oh, that's a good Well into. Yeah. He was playing, you know, I think he was playing with Coventry up to about what, 97, something yeah. like that, maybe. Maybe that's a smidge too late. But he was player manager. He obviously won the title with Leeds yeah. in uh, in the in the last season before the Premier League kicked in. And I think did I think he was the let me get this right. I think he was the last, the, the only player. To have scored a hat trick in the Premier League that was born in the fifties. Wow, that's a stat. That's true. Oh, well, let me see if let me see if I've got that right. You check that, and I'll, I'll um, get Matthew to see if he can offer any alternative. Well, you you've thrown me somewhat here because I didn't realise we were all picking the same category. You see, so I've got a different <laughs> category. So no, it's right. I'm merely a guide, Matthew. I'm merely a yeah, guide. I mean, if you'd give me a bit of time, I could probably pluck one out of the air. But you see, I've gone for the box to box. That's my other one. Should we park that? 
we'll part that. That's the that's the second centre midfielder. So we'll, we'll go we'll go there in a minute. So okay. offer me another. 1957, by the way. 1957, he was born. He was the only player to be born in the 50s and score a Premier League hat trick. Stat, I love it. That is amazing. Um, so yeah, Matthew, you can add one to this. Add a different category. I'm quite happy. I mean, the other. Well, day- okay, then in that case, then I'm going to go for the uh, the the other category. I've got three, obviously three others. Um, so you you two can argue the um, the player manager one. I'll throw in the intelligent player, the, the player who's been to university, maybe the player <laughs> that likes uh, reads the Guardian, music. the player that reads the. Broadsheet papers, yeah. the player that reads the NME. Now, you know, there's one or two players that could fit into this category. Um, Pat Nevin, for example. True. Educated man, likes to listen to Sticks music, reads The Guardian, reads the NME. But the one I went for is, um, let me see, hang on, I've got it written down here somewhere. Oh, yes, Brian McClare. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely shameless. Well, you know, around <laughs> I thought you would guess who it would be from the, uh, well, from I the category. I don't class him as a central midfielder. I always thought he was a second striker, possibly. Yeah, same. No, no, no. He was. He started his career as a midfielder and then was put up front. Ended up being the top scorer for United and Celtic and blah, blah, blah. But fundamentally a midfielder. So, um, yeah, I think you could put him in there. That. Not having it. Not happening, mate. <laughs> I have, to try, I have to try and get him into every one of these 11s we do. Yeah, so I'm, I'm almost sorry that I gave you a plug at the beginning of the show now. <laughs> <laughs> right. That's, uh, I'm, I think Gordon Strachan's winning. I mean, the only other names I had, Brian Robson is an obvious one. Well, uh, I was going to yeah. say him, but then yeah. that, did we go down that route of, is he too good? Is he too good? Peter Reid was another one I had, who, but possibly mm. more 80s player than player manager. I would say. Um, Ronnie Whelan wasn't a player manager, but definitely, you know, that wily vet in the early 90s in Liverpool's midfield, definitely. Um, but I think Gordon Strachan's a winner. I'm actually annoyed I didn't think of that one. So, yeah, yeah Gordon Strachan, only player in Premier League history to score a hat trick, <laughs> born in the 50s, playing in the 90s. By the end of it, was managing. Yeah, I'm all over it. Gordon Strachan, welcome to the team. Box to box midfielder, then, Matthew. That's kind of what I've got as well the classic box to box not you know unsung english hero is kind of the way i look at it as well they're most of the ones i've got on my list well you could say that but then the name i've got here is it's certainly english Claire. no 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 <laughs> i mean i'm sure he could do a good job as a he box to box there, yeah, yeah. but um i mean that's you could you could say roy Keane, i suppose but again he he goes he goes into that box of sort of maybe being a little bit too good and yeah, successful. Yeah. But then this is very unfair on the player I've chosen because, I mean, he's very successful and a great player and also an England hero. It's David Platt. David Platt, yeah, it's a good one. Very good. <laughs> too shiny, too good. I mean, he played for Blumen Juventus. Well, yeah, I know, but I didn't really realise we were going down the route of the crap 90s 11. Not, I think. No, <laughs> the crap. It's the, it's the, middling, the middling 90s 11. Yeah. It's yeah. a typical 90s 11. And you won't get more 90s 11 is, like, is, is the nice term. You won't um, get a more 90s player than David Platt. I, I like your thinking, and I, I think we should go with the light version of David Platt. So there's a name that Paul sent me on a text that raised quite high on my list when we were talking last week. I don't know if you've still got him in contention, Paul. Ooh. 
Go on, go on. I can't, I've got a few. I can't remember what I've got. So I'm I can't like, remember yeah. who I sent you, to be honest. You, you mentioned the word Gary Flitcroft to me. And oh, yes, he's on the list. <laughs> Which I was very much, again, but I've got loads in this mould. You know, the, the Craig Hignitz, the Lee Clark, yes. the Chris Bart Williams. They're all, also on the list. They're all in this kind of all-action, box-to-box, Never Steve really made it. Stone. I love Steve Stone. I loved was him. He, he was a box to box player. I thought he was more of a wide man. He, he did play more yeah, on maybe. the wing. He did play. I would say he played more as a right winger. Uh, when would he, we call him more of a winger? I don't think he was a proper winger. I think he was more. I'll play on the right where I'm. You know where I have to. I actually voted for him as the right winger in my Premier League team of the decade because I thought he was brilliant. When he Fair enough. Above Ronaldo, but you know. That's my that's my preference, but yeah, he's a good shout. Um, I've put Paul Lintz down here, but that's r- clearly against my own category. I don't know why I've written that, uh, but yeah. I, I, anyone from that kind of field? I've I've got a name. I've got a name who is again one of my, for for reasons completely unbeknownst to me, he was one of my favourite players in the nineties. He was one of these guys, and there's dozens of them we can name in the nineties who played for a fairly unfancy team, and then. Rather than getting his big move, he got a semi-big move for semi-big money to a semi-decent team. And I'm talking Sasa Sergic. <laughs> I've, I've just read his name. Or someone, I see you tweet it. I'll give him credit. I'm, gonna, I'm happy to find it now. Like, Go on, wax lyrical while I find it, Paul. So, he, so Sasa Sergic comes in as an absolute nobody into the Bolton Wanderers team. I wouldn't say he pulls up trees, but he impressed enough and he got on everyone's radar and he ended up with that £4.5 million move to Aston Villa, then went on to become a Crystal Palace legend into the bargain. So, like, he had three very middle-of-the-road teams that spanned almost you know, two-thirds of the decade, all in the Premier League, or mostly in the Premier League. Um, and he was never good enough to even be considered for a move to one of the truly big teams, but he was always there. He was like, he's like, you know, the bar, he's like the if you ordered Georgie Kinkladzi from Wish, you'd get Sasa search it. And that that's enough for me. I can't find the tweet now. It's completely I'm I've been dazzled by other names as well, listening to you as well. But it's a it's a very valid argument. Um the other names in this category that are also I mean, this is possibly the hardest choice, but I've got a Mark Draper, Jeremy Goss, he's, yeah, Ian Bishop. A, who else have we got? Another uh, Chris Bart Williams, uh, David Batty, possibly Scott Sellers. That's a great one. Scott yeah. Sellers, proper. Nice. He's a winger though, really, wasn't he? Kind of again, could have played on the rock. Where is that? I cannot find that tweet. Colton Palmer. Colton um, Palmer. Um, although I don't feel right having Colton Palmer and Gordon Strachan. I feel we've gone two leads if we do that. As much as Colton Palmer <laughs> very much is a 90s. Kobe Jones. Well done, Stephen Bridgman. Oh, Kobe yes. Jones. Probably too obscure and not in the Premier League for long enough. There we go. The lineup design, the guys at the lineup design who were doing a competition with actually in a few weeks on the Twitter feed, they said Sasachik Kerchik. Um, I don't know, Matthew, you might have to be a judicator on this one because I'm, I mean, Sasachik he's made a good argument there. I think you, you named so many names there. I'm not sure I've lost count of who, yeah. who's in contention. <laughs> I think Chris Bart Williams is the one. Just because, I don't know. you know, the, the amount of times we've mentioned Kobe Jones on the show, I feel that we've. We owe him a we owe, we owe him a game. game. <laughs> yeah. Throw him a shirt. Yeah. Um, oh God, I mean, any of those players could be. 
it's just so difficult, isn't it? Because we're, you know, are we going on ability? Are we going on the fact that we're just so nineties? Are we? Going, I mean, yeah. Part of me, I think. Part of me thinks, been, go on. Who do you, who you I, go? I, just, I think part of me thinks. Obviously, if we're going to rule out my choice, which is David Platt, um, too good. Too good. I mean, I'm going to say Chris Bart Williams. Oh, we'll go with that. Sasha Curie could be on our bench, and I, I think the English. I've got one player in my mind as well for that. As well, you know, the Mark Drapers, as I said, the Lee Clarks, Gary Flitcroft was another great shout from you. So that's having that's locking in Chris Bart Williams, the Bart Man, as they used to call him at the city ground. Is more Wednesday representation. And that, again, more Wednesday. They're very much the core. But, but they were the team of the 90s, they weren't are the they? Ethos. In so now, many ways. Quinter, I don't know if David Hurst will quite make the lineup up, up front. He is, but we'll see. Um, okay. You're about as middling as you get. <laughs> Sorry, Wednesday fans. Right. On our wings, the left wing, and we've already mentioned it tonight because I think you alluded to Mr. Sinton. It the only category it has to be is the ongoing problem that was 90s that stretched into 2000s was England's left hand side, and there are just a plethora of names that you know England did try in the position. Players are never even quite, quite there in that position. So instead of like plucking one name, I'm just going to go with the collection I have here. And I'm, I'm Paul, we'll see if you've got anyone else, um, and then we'll see where we go. But I've got Jason Wilcox, Steve Guppy, Alan Thompson, Steve Froggart, Andy Sinton, and Rule Flipping Fox, who I think was more of a right, but I, I've kind of moved him to the left. In fairness to Foxy, well, he could he could cut inside, couldn't he? The, the modern day term is you you cut inside. But for me, that's kind of where we are. Paul, was there any other left-wing names you wanted to throw in? Well, you've hit the nail on the head. I had Rule Fox down as a right-winger, but the four I've got, um, you've hit three of them. So Thompson was one of them. Alan yeah. Thompson, great, great player. Andy Sinton, obviously, and Steve Guppy were, were absolute must. The other name I had thrown in there, um, Stuart Ripley. Yes, was, well, again, wasn't he more right? Because it was Wilcox on the left. I might, maybe I'm misremembering this. You know, maybe I am. I feel like, to be honest, I've tried not to look stuff up. I've tried to rely on my own memory. Yeah. And I'm really struggling with remembering which probably players in, go on. Yeah. But across the board, like, I've, I've been okay with fullbacks. I seem to remember fullbacks. But for some reason, I've got this wing blindness where they just <laughs> try and change. I, I don't know. But uh, if you say he was more of a right winger, then I'll absolutely bow to that because I haven't looked, I haven't re-looked at it. Matthew, any names there that you want to throw in, or one you particularly think is the one? Well, for the for argument's sake, I'm going to say that Wilcox is a right winger because that's where I've put him on my right wing. <laughs> so uh, we'll come to that in a minute. Um, yeah, I mean, I had Sinton down because I've had to have this, this huge because of Mark Wright's injury, and I've had to make this huge change to the to the lineup. You know, one minute I had McManaman as a left wing back and. You know, he's been hooked. Um, so if we're doing a classic 4-4-2 in the 90s, I mean, I mentioned him earlier on, I think, when we were talking left-back, England's left side problem, all that. And just for that goal he scored on that mon- first ever, was True. it the first ever Monday night game? What? Yeah, Main Road. Main Road. Yeah. I'm going to go Andy Sinton. No arguments here. <laughs> Absolutely. Likewise, likewise. And, and, and another Wednesday name. 
<laughs> yes. <laughs> at the core, of, I didn't we, think there was another. We could, one. Ourselves, we could have served ourselves over an hour, over an hour here, guys, and just yeah. chucked in a Wednesday eleven, just, yes. just printed it off from the Wednesday fan site, and just go. There we go. Read that out, Ash. Somewhere, Graham Hyde and Peter Atherton are gutted they didn't make the cut. <laughs> <laughs> oh dear, but there's still, there's still time. There's still, still time printed. for Guy Whittingham to stake a claim. <laughs> Yeah, as well. Right, right wing. I've gone slightly different. I know you just mentioned Wilcox there, uh, Matthew. I, this is my position for the for the fancy sort of superstar like version of the foreign signing that teams that signed at that. You know, not an Andre Kinchelskis who was brilliant and for me was an up, sort of upper echelon to these guys. So me, I have a standout for this, you know, the standard bearer for this category. So I'll put him forward first before I say the also runs. The kind of guy that you think you sign in, he could be the next big thing. He could move to a bigger club, but ultimately this, you know, he was a, a small fish, actually a big fish in a small pond and never actually made it into a big fish or a big pond. I've got that completely wrong, haven't I? Peter and love is what I'm trying to say. <laughs> Peter and love the foreigner that you think oh he's going to be amazing and was probably once every five ten games quick kind of kind of exotic that's that was kind of the route I was going for and he was the first name I was like has to be Mr Peter and love yeah I don't think you'll get many arguments from that I mean again it's a I mean obviously we're going to have probably twice as many names as we got for the left-sided issue but um I think they're all going to be much of a muchness if we're going to eliminate the the classic brilliant you know right-sided players that we're obviously not going to be able to include I mean gigs what have you I mean he's obviously left but I mean um from this category of also rans 90s 11 yeah I would I would I mean I've, we've I've named I've got names that we've named already when we were talking about left-sided players and centre midfielders I've got Steve Stone and Wilcox and I have I actually went for Andre Kinchelskis, but I'm starting to think maybe he was a little bit too successful. Yeah, a little well, you want a league for a start. Paul, um, any thoughts on this? I mean, I've got a few others in that area. What have you got on your right wing? Well, if we were going for favourite, it's a one name category for me, and it is Andre Kinchelskis, one of my favourite players of all time. He drove, um, he drove I, me nuts. I, Watching him play, <laughs> I, he drove me nuts. He, oh, he used to keep it. hold of the ball far too long. He'd beat the man, <laughs> get to the line, and then go back and beat the man again, and then beat, try and beat him again, and win a corner. Oh. And why not? And why not? <laughs> yeah. but, and it, um, he was being but, cocky either. <laughs> <laughs> but I agree with you guys that for the sake of tonight's discussion, he has to be cast aside. I actually had Rule Fox because I I count him as a right winger as well. And the other name I had down, which again I, I'm, I'm second guessing myself on his on his wing of choice. Um, but I've gone for Oyvind Leonardson. Yes, the name we had on Twitter, actually. Yeah, I think he was right. I think he was a right winger. Falls into this category perfectly as well. You know, the not quite. That's what I'm thinking. Not the not, not the quite not so quite flashy foreign signing is what I'm trying to articulate. Not very well on on this right side. Yeah, he was in my mix along with I think Brian Roy, but again, I think slightly cut above. I really liked Brian Roy. Uh, Ily Dimitrescu. I thought I was another name I threw out there. Jose Dominguez. Yeah, winger. Ily Dimitrescu, oh yeah, oh yeah. Are you thinking really? of okay? Are you thinking of Jacob Pogba? No, no, I'm thinking of I'm thinking of Dimitrescu. But fair enough, no, go for it. Well, again, my mind, he may be in the midfielder across the ball, being pushed out to the right. Maybe that's where my my thing. My, that may have been it. Might have been it. Dominguez is a great shout. Definitely. Great shout. 
he was like this tall and I'm, you know, it's coming from someone who's only this tall. I know people can't see what I'm doing, but he was very small. Um, Carol Baborski was another one as well. Cause he fell into that other category. Yes. Tournament, you know, signing a player cause he was just good at the Toto Scalacci. He was, he was fantastic, wasn't he? Cause they brought him on the back of a really good Euro 96. And if they're trying to claim he was a long-term scouting project, they'd be talking out of their behind. He was, <laughs> yeah. he was there for that goal, wasn't he? Which is then so ironic, you know, the goal that he scored against Portugal, was oh, it, in Euro 96 yeah. with DLG yeah. over? Which is kind of ironic, because as soon as he signed, this, the first game that Man United played after he signed was against Wimbledon, where David Beckham also scored a rather spectacular goal and then forevermore kept Paborski out of the team. Yeah. So like, he was completely stuck before he even got started, which I thought was quite quite ironic. Didn't win goal of the season, though, did it? Um... No, but you know who... Uh... <laughs> You know who gave him the assist for that goal, don't you? Brian McClare. Was it was it Brian McClare? Yeah. <laughs> the epicenter of alive and kicking is Sheffield Wednesday and Brian McClare. Uh, <laughs> is it Pierre and Love? About, we just, are we just going? What, one more to throw in. One more to throw in. He's not going to be a winner. But do you remember Darnie from Sheffield uh, from West Ham United? West Ham, yeah, the best looking footballer of all time. Didn't know whether to kick him or kiss him. Was that what Redknapp said? I got something like that. I remember him playing in an FA Cup game, snowing. Was it? I want to say they were playing a team in red. I want to say Wrexham, but I might be getting confused with obviously the great Wrexham story of '91. But yeah, he was wearing gloves. Was not up for that. So yeah, but (laughs) he's a great shout. But I think I've you know I've stated the case of Peter and Love. This is the Peter and Love category. So that's that's locked that. And head to our forward line. Now, there's so many categories. There's so many ways we could go down here. You know, the Robert Rosarios, that kind of... uh, You could go to the David Hursts, because this is clearly a Sheffield Wednesday 11. But uh, the two, I kind of... I think they're kind of 90s. I'm going to... Let's put them together. So the first striker was the, the foreigner at the end or towards the end of his career that comes to those early Premier League days for the last cash cow of, of his career. So that's one category I've kind of got there. And then the other one is something we don't see anymore. The target man, the classic big man in football that they've been eroded from all this ticky-tacky football. Andy Carroll was the last one standing and you know, what's less said about Andy Carroll, the better. So they're the kind of two sort of areas I was going down. I, I don't think I've got a na- two names that I'm definitely settled on. There's lots that I've put in there. Um, Matthew, would, have you got any other categories or have you got any names you'd put forward? In yeah, I mean, I, I was struggling by now, obviously, because it was I was frantically writing notes down about 10 minutes before we were supposed to come on air. So I was really getting desperate. Um, but I went with the journeyman striker. Yeah. And, you know, obvious names crop up there. Steve Claridge, Mick Quinn. Yeah. Um, I think, yeah, I think Claridge would fit into your category of slightly crap. Yeah. 90s, as much as he, you know, he begged to differ. It's not um, so crap. <laughs> well, that's basically what you're insinuating these players no, I'm are. I'm saying it's not players you don't see in 2021. Peter, you're saying Peter Atherton, you're saying Peter Atherton would be gutted not to be in this team. He's probably glad because basically all the names we've mentioned you said are crap. Matthew, we, have to be careful. <laughs> we might want some of these on the show at some point. Oh, so I'm treading carefully. <laughs> And then I also went with the poacher. But you see, the okay. reason I chose the poacher, because I think it was a position that had gone completely out of football by, you know, it's very much an 80s role, wasn't it? Lineker. Tony Cotty. Cotty. Yeah. Rush. That kind of thing. But, Gary um, Penrose. 
Yeah. <laughs> Brian QBR back in the mix again. Yeah. <laughs> Bradley <laughs> Allen. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, he would definitely be in the Allen family. Absolutely. Oh, yeah, he had a poacher about him. Um, okay. I think, I think we scrapped, yeah, so maybe we scrapped the poacher role because that was very much of the uh, of the 80s. And um, But then that, if we if we stick with your two categories, we're str- I'm struggling. That I mean, would you put... Would you put Klinsman in that role? Because I mean, he did yeah. come in as a, a, you know, he was not washed he's up, on, but a... he's on the cusp. I have got him down, but maybe on the cusp. The, the, the players I've obviously got right now are Ravinelli, who's a kind of standard bearer of this. Oh well, good job. Is that the reason you dropped Joel tonight? Was it? Yeah, you know... I, didn't, I didn't want that earache at the end of it. Um, <laughs> love you, Joel. Viali, uh, Gianluca Viali, obviously at the end of his yeah. career. Um, Florian Rodachoyu at West Ham was somebody who came over. Um, Pierre Luigi Casaraghi at the end, you know, obviously his career ended in England, but um, he was another name. Um, any others on that sort of vein, Paul, have you got on yours or have you gone completely different categories as well? I've got a completely different category. I've gone with. We're never going to resolve this one. <laughs> <laughs> what, what, one of them's a bit of an amalgamation of the two you've had, actually. One of them's a bit of a, the journeyman slash target man, which often amounts to the same thing. The category I've got, I haven't mentioned, is the flash in the pan. Oh, the nice. striker that had come in out of absolutely nowhere, yeah. be it from you know the lower leagues or from abroad, burn really brightly for six months and then just shuffle off, never to be heard from again. Um, and to me, there's two real contenders for that one. Uh, Faustino Aspria yeah. uh, being one who came in big money, big reputation, big gloves uh, and, and did it for a short period of time. But my pick in that category, without hesitation, would be Tony Yaboa. Oh, that is a good one. It's a good one. It's been mentioned on Twitter as well. So 90s and so loved even now as well. That it's hard. Really well loved, really memorable, but in actual fact, did absolutely nothing in well, the grand scheme of things. Yeah, he scored a... Apart you know, from score two goals of the month. Yeah. Stroke season. Yeah. He scored yeah. from World Cup. Yeah, Exactly. A few world did nothing for his teams. No, definitely. Oh, he's a good shout. He's a good shout. Probably beats the type of I think because a lot of those players I mentioned there in that sort of foreign at the end of his career again probably a bit too good. So maybe, maybe we could. I'm I'm penciling in. No, I'm not. I'm penning. Look, I've actually got a pen. Um, Yaboa, because that's uh, got Leeds as well. There's a lot. There's a few Leeds connections. He didn't play for Sheffield Wednesday as well. Okay, so if we we settle on Yaboa. Are we going target man? I think we have to from a 90s team. It's got to be a Niall Quinn, a Mick Harford, a Lee Chapman or an Alan Smith. That kind of player for me yeah. who, who partners your boa in this quintessential 90s lineup. What do you reckon, Matthew? What about? Yeah, I mean, you, you said one there that just stinks the 90s to me. Um, also a versatile player that can go in goal as well. So kind of goes goes to this fascination I've got with players playing in different positions but um, yeah I'd, I'd say Niall Quinn Niall Quinn what were you going to say Paul? The one the one that sticks out for me in terms of target man is target man with a bit skilled to be fair Jan Agafjortov oh you're, you're, you, you're nailing this front line absolutely nailing this front line <laughs> that's a, and, and again Joe Young would be very pleased with that um, oh that's a good one very 90s yeah I think Paul. I think Paul's won this striker battle for sure. I've lost miserably in my categories. I think Yang. He has that fancy foreigner vibe to him as well that we had on our uh, right wing. He's kind of migrated down to the front. Your Bowen Fjortov. I mean, that is nineties, isn't it? 
what, what a combo that would be. Because I think Quinn, there's a little bit of 80s in him as well, because like, he was at Arsenal. Oh, yeah, well, it, 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 I'm always reluctant when I have this carryover from 80s players, you know, because it is a rebookable offence. I'm aware of that. Yeah, I know. That's, that's and he was <laughs> very much at the tail end of his career. Well, I say that. He was, he was still going at Sunderland, wasn't he? For yeah, he was. He was. There, he did play throughout the decade, but yeah, they, it didn't quite fit. So I think, I think the rule should be, if there's ever a deliberation, if a player only yeah. played in the 90s, they should get the nod. That's true. I'm with you. Done. Locked in. What a team. Let me just run through the quintessential 1990s football team before we, we call this a night. Kevin Pressman is our goalkeeper. We have a back four of Paul Parker, Paul Woolhurst, Philip Albert and Stuart Pearce. We want to face them. And it's a midfield of Gordon Strachan and Chris Bart Williams in the middle, flanked by Peter and Love and Andy Sinton. Up from Tony Oboa and Jan Ardra Theortov. Beautiful. Absolutely beautiful. gorgeous. That I think we, yeah, I think we nailed that. We definitely did. Uh, thank you to everyone else who got involved as well. I'm just seeing if on the striker fund, Adrian Little John, I've just seen. Uh, what a shout that is. Doesn't fall into any category, but an absolute brilliant. <laughs> shout. Uh, Mark Robbins, that's a great Chris Kawamia, that's a great one. Ian Marshall was another sort of target. I, I, nearly, I nearly mentioned him for some reason. I, don't, I yeah. can't remember what category came up we were thinking about. Was it the big man or the... Possibly. Ian Woe is somebody... Oh, it could have been the journeyman. As well. Ian Woe is definitely someone we forgot to mention um, as a winger. Um, very quick story because we're actually running out of time on the Zoom call as well. Uh, Pretty Green Eyes. If you remember that song? Pretty Green Eyes, never gonna... I yeah. was very, very... had a few drinks in a club once. Decided that his name fitted perfectly in that next line. Just shouted, the legend that is in Woe. Stuck around for the rest of my drinking days. There you go. I hope you, I hope you got thrown out. <laughs> I don't even know where I was. Nowhere near Nottingham, that's for sure. Uh, Tony Daly is a winger. There's another shout we didn't mention. Awesome. Yeah, good shout. Effin Akuku, Kevin Gallagher. That's a great striker. A journeyman you mm-hmm. can fall into. Uh, John Fashionu was a mention. Big Duncan Ferguson. Dean Holdsworth. That's a good one. Uh, this actually from Rallers eighty two. I'm gonna. This is we'll finish on this because this is probably almost as good as our team. McCloscoe, Barton, Peacock, Kenmon, Cow. Great shout. Steve Harkness, Jason McAteer, Darren Caskey, Anders Limbaugh, Reggie Blinker, Stan Collymore, and Dean Holdsworth. That's a that's a pretty good team Not as well. well. Um, subs John Agafilov so he's on the same wavelength someone's put Roy Wegley how very dare you right okay that's cool and I thank you very much uh, for joining us once again um, Matthew where can people find out about your brand new podcast and all you know, your Twitter feed and all that um, if they really want to they can follow me on Twitter at Matthew J Christ the new podcast handle is at Brian McClare pod Ops. why wouldn't it be um, Paul where can people get in touch with you if they want to talk about Leicester in the mid 90s <laughs> If you want to talk about any East Midlands football in the mid-90s, you can find me at HowPaulB on Twitter. Great. And as always, follow us at AK90s on Twitter, at AK90sPod on Instagram. Thank you very much for downloading. I've been Ash Rose. This has been Alive and Kicking. Pick your quintessential 90s 11 and stick it on the Twitter feed. We'd love to see it. Although you'll have a grand job beating ours and Rallers 82, who's also very good. Thank you very much. Good night. And as always... Keep it 90s.